0: So, if you listen to my last episode, you know that I got the chance to scout for some deer last week Now, I'm not going to go into any details or anything You know, I had a plan, I executed that plan, and suffice to say, I'm kind of happy with the results You know, I saw a lot of sign, um, deer sign, I mean like deer tracks, deer trails, and deer bedding areas And I honestly can't wait to head back out there You know, scout some more Maybe even start formulating an entrance and an exit strategy In the words of Hannibal Smith I love it when a plan comes together What up y'all, I'm your host Cliff Cadet And welcome to episode 31 of When The Hunt Calls Now As I've said before, if you're joining me for the first time, thank you for listening. And if you're a return listener, I truly appreciate you. Now, head over to the review section of this particular platform you're using and hook me up with a five star rating. And if you're feeling really generous, feel free to bless me with a dope review. And now on to the show. All right. Now, my guest this episode is a straight OG in the hunting game. I was told a long time ago to give him a follow on Instagram and I did, but I don't know if it's due to this whole Instagram algorithm thing, but I never really came across his content, at least not until June 2nd, all right? Now, that day sparked a small interaction that led to a few emails and thus spawned the interview you're about to listen to right now. So sit back, relax, and listen in on my conversation with Randy Newberg Hunter.
1: Let's kick this off right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I am on the line with the incomparable, the legend. <laughs> Randy, <laughs> Randy, Newberg. Randy Newberg. You you gotta, under, you gotta understand, Randy. It's uh right now it's an honor. Um, I'm not gonna say right now, it is an honor to to be on the line speaking with you because. Um, while I had heard of you um, and was following you on social media, um, it must have been the social media, the the whole like Instagram algorithm that you hear about with some, how many people I follow, your content didn't really pop up on my feed. Um, and then it wasn't until a specific event that we'll, we'll get to later on in my questioning that for some reason that day, your, your content was your post was the first thing in my feed that day. And then um, I was like, all right. I know this guy, I know he's really big within the hunting community, within the hunting industry, and started doing my research, started watching you on YouTube, um, I've even been binge watching you on Amazon uh, in the last couple of days, because like I said, I'm on vacation, but please, because like with with my um with my listeners, you know, I try to, to target newer hunters and whatnot, um, what I'm going to do is shut up, because I've been talking for the last two minutes, and ask, you know, uh, that you introduce yourself, you know, t- tell me and my listeners who you are exactly
2: and what is it that you do. Well, thanks, Cliff. I appreciate you having me. First of all, I, uh, I, I'm the. I always tell people I'm the luckiest person in the world because I live in a beautiful place like Bozeman, Montana, and every day I get up and the why of my business is to promote self-guided public land hunting and create advocates for that cause. So when you decide you're going to create advocates for a cause, it is a whole lot different than saying, I want to make a bunch of money or I want to be this or I want to be that. Uh, so I, I produce outdoor media. I have for the last 12 years. I started out uh, producing it for cable TV. Uh, and 2015, we jumped into podcast. 16, we jumped into YouTube. 17, we jumped into Amazon, and now we've got ten of us running around this office here yeah. creating <laughs> content that is hunting related, that talks about conservation, uh, and creating creating advocates for the cause of of conservation and hunting and the things we love. And so, uh, in my other life, I am a tax accountant. <laughs> what? The <laughs> CPA and my other, day. and anyone who knows what happened this year is Congress passed this stimulus bill for the whole COVID thing, and today is the tax deadline. It got moved from April fifteenth to today, to July to July fifteenth. Yeah. yeah? And so I've got all these messages from the CPA firm saying, "Where are you? <laughs> I'm not going there today. That's going to be fair. because
1: <laughs> because I know. Most, most, I'm not gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna venture a guess that a lot of taxpayers are procrastinators and waited till the absolute, even with the extension, waited till the last possible second to uh file their taxes. I'm one of those, honestly. The minute I've got my my W 2 in hand, boom, I'm online knocking it out with like TurboTax or something like that (laughs) just to get out the
2: way. Um, so, so. I'm sure your listeners are thinking, "How did the guy who's a tax accountant get into producing outdoor media?" And it was yeah. it was all by accident. But, I hear you. Uh, well, I will. The thing is,
1: you. I mean, you're producing a uh, a wealth of content, um, whether it's social media, YouTube, Amazon. Um, but where did it all begin for you? Because I'm pretty sure it wasn't like you woke up one day and was just like, "You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make a YouTube video about hunting." Um,
2: yeah. like what was your hunting background? Like, was this something you, you grew up with? Yeah. I, I grew up in a little town of 500 people. It was a little logging town in Northern Minnesota, right up on the Canadian border. And I thought everybody in the world, you know, when you grew up in a little place, you think that's the, the center of the universe because you don't see other things. You don't experience other things. You you see what's in your daily life. So everybody, I knew would hunt, fish, garden, forage. Uh, I don't want to say it was complete uh, subsistence lifestyle, but the land, the water, provided us a lot of food, and it was fishing, hunting, all the things that you could imagine. Uh, that that i just grew up doing it and i thought well everybody does this and then (laughs) i went to college in minneapolis and realized how weird i was uh and how i i came from a different uh place and space uh, as far as how my food was was acquired and it just is it's always been an an identity that i've had that i come from a family of hunters a community of hunters my my family came from Scandinavia, Sweden, and Finland in 1910 to 1912. Uh, when they came and settled in northern Minnesota, they were hunters and anglers and gardeners and, and berry pickers. And so I'm quite honestly, Cliff, I, I just kind of fell into it. I was born in. It. <laughs> it. It's not like I raised my hand and said, I'm, I want to be a hunter. And I know there's a lot of people who are raising their hands and say, I want to be a hunter. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be extremely challenging to to do that uh, at, and, uh, at some other age in your life than someone like me who was just kind of born into it. And you lived it, you breathed it you, through osmosis, through stories, through the community events. You just learned it. So mm-hmm. I wish I could tell you I made some conscious decisions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's, I mean, it's. I'm not going to
1: say I envy you but it's it's uh it's something that I think about I wonder myself sometimes if my like my life would have taken a different turn if it had if hunting was something that I was born into you know what I'm saying um, cuz it seems I'm I'm not going to lie it's it seems like it's been a little bit of a journey for me even prior to deciding I wanted to hunt like everything I gravitate towards tends to be and when I say outdoors related, I don't mean like necessarily in the woods, but just being out in fresh air, like for, for many, many years, to be honest, I was the type of guy that I can't be at a desk as a nine to five job or anything like that. I got to be someone constantly moving, constantly active. Um, and lo and behold, seven years ago, uh, I ended up Working for UPS, a delivery driver, and I am honestly the happiest I've ever been in terms of a job. Because honestly, if the if the if my biggest complaint every day is that oh it's hot outside, oh it's raining, or or anything like that, then I'm happy. You know what I'm saying? I get to be outdoors all day. Granted, it's a big city. I get to see people every day. Uh, you know, hundreds of people throughout the week. I'm I'm genuine, genuinely happy to be honest. So it's like I I, I just.
2: I just feel like the hunting ended up being like the next step in that progression. And one of the things that always interests me is learning the stories and, and the experiences people have who do just what you say, you got into hunting and comparing Mm -hmm. it to my experience of having grown up in it, growing up, growing up in a culture where everybody hunted. My sister hunted. my, my, my aunts hunt. Wow. It's everybody hunts. Or fishes is an angler, or and so for me it, it it's just so it, it, uh, how would I say it? it? It almost seems weird when people are struck that I hunt. It's like, oh, well, where I come from, everybody hunted. What what's so weird about the fact that I hunt? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm interested in the stories of other people who are coming to hunting at different stages in their life and in how they how they got there. Uh, what challenges they faced and as someone who thinks hunting has a huge value to our society i'm interested in how can i help those people i've been blessed to have this situation what can i do that makes it easier for them to follow their path nice i agree i definitely appreciate that and i
1: know uh newer hunters as well uh, appreciate that there's a huge um at least on social media that I'm aware of, there's a huge contingent of the hunting community that make it a point to try and mentor those and answer questions. And I'll tell you, I've wholeheartedly taken advantage of that um, by, you know, picking people's brains. Um, it's, it's you know, it's funny It's they say, it takes a village to raise the child. It takes the whole hunting community to, you know, raise a, a new hunter. Yeah. So um, definitely can appreciate that. Now, let me let me ask, because a lot of your a lot of your content seems to be. uh, Well, from what I've seen so far, because I haven't I haven't done that deep of a dive into your content, but it seems to be uh, related more to elk hunting. Is that like your your most favorite game to hunt or is that what you're most familiar with based on where you're from? It's
2: it's a function of two things. One, I really do enjoy it and. Growing up in this little town in northern Minnesota, I would read in a magazine. This, this was before the internet. I, um, I made <laughs> message, uh, about elk hunting in the West. And in my mind, it seemed like something I would have to win the lottery to go and do. It, it just seemed so abstract, so intangible that I never really thought I could do it. Well, then I move out West to go to college and finish up college, and I kind of start settling in out here. And I realized that elk hunting is something anybody could go and do it. Yeah. It's got some logistics. It's got a learning curve, but I went through that process and I was able to do it. And I thought about all my friends who I knew had the same dreams I did as a young hunter, boy, I'd like to go elk hunting someday. And so a big reason that we focus so much on elk hunting information and how to and the hurdles that you, you have to clear and hopefully lowering some of those hurdles is I want other people to, to accomplish that dream that I had. I had a dream. I want to go elk hunting someday. And now that I realize it's attainable, how do I show other people that it's attainable? So that, that's probably the, the biggest reason why so much of our content is elk centric. You see, but you know what's funny is
1: I'm I'm learning regardless of the game. Um, a lot of the people that I'm coming across, like I said, about the hunting community wanting to mentor, a, a, I'm getting the impression that there's a lot of um, the mentality of like, I guess hunters, whether they're new to this, like ad- adult onset hunters. I, it sounds like a, a new virus or something like that. Every time I hear <laughs> adult onset, adult onset hunting like it's like i said i need a prescription for it but it seems like um hunters um i don't know if it's maybe a newer mentality or something that's been going on um prior to me wanting to hunt having the what's the word i'm looking for the mindset that they feel like they have to take on the responsibility of passing on the um the uh the sport or the tradition, whether it be through, you know, through their own family or through someone else that they can meet that's interested in it. Is that something that you, that's always been a case within the hunting community or is it something
2: that's more just happening across the last couple of years? In my life, it's always been part of that ethos, whatever you want to call it within the hunting community. And as I've grown older, I've become very interested in the history of conservation and the history of hunting in America. And as i've spent the last probably 15 or 20 years really reading and researching and trying to learn more about where this comes from that what you just identified of this generational knowledge is something that has been there since time began and i think if we go to hunting even further back as our subsistence lifestyles wherever you trace it back to that was all generational it was taught it was you know but I I have a lot of uh, tribal friends here in Montana and Minnesota, and I hear their stories uh, and they're identical to the stories of the culture I grew up in. It was about younger people learning from the elders, around campfires, out in the field, whatever it is. And I just think that is how something that is uh, as uh, fundamental to our food source or historically, fundamental to our food source there's always going to be this generational transfer of knowledge and i i want to be part of that because i i wouldn't have become a hunter if i didn't have elders or or uh people older than me who took me under their way i i would have floundered and probably would have got frustrated and decided you know what i think i'm gonna play hockey or i'm gonna whatever i mean mm-hmm. that was your other, where i grew up in northern minnesota that was your other option you got to play hockey
1: i i I like i like how you talk about is the like the generational passing on of information because um like i we we were corresponding uh via email and i had shared with you an experience i had back in oh five where i had the the great opportunity to chaperone a group of new york city teenagers to um, we we attended a, a week long youth leadership conference in Minnesota, um, so I got to visit Minneapolis for the first time. Your your Mall of America's is
0: huge,
1: huge. <laughs> and then um, we spent a week there, and then we spent two weeks in South Dakota where we stayed at both the Pine Ridge and Rosebud reservations, mm-hmm. and um, the the knowledge that was passed on to us in such a short amount of time, I can only imagine what. You know what knowledge is passed on over the course of years from, let's say, a father to his children, you know, a mother to their children, so on. So it's I, I guess at at the end of the day, I, it's like I feel like, uh, you you ever seen a, a relay race when the baton's being passed? Yeah. I feel like at this moment in time, this is that transition point for me, where a baton is being passed to me, and I have the opportunity to either make the mistake of fumbling and dropping it (laughs) or or (laughs) grabbing onto it really strong and just sprinting for the finish line so and then and and then being able to or or not even sprinting for the finish line i feel like there probably is no finish line it's passing that baton on to somebody else whether it be my own children or someone else that i may notice is uh is looking to take on the sport of hunting
2: yeah it, it i think that's a great analogy cliff and my dad uh he was such a, uh, he he had his challenges with alcoholism, but in hunting season, it was the time when he really could fight back the demons and any kid in town who did not have a hunter in their household to take them. He had a couple of rules. You pass hunter safety or hunter education and you come out and help me build a deer stand in the summer on a place you pick and I'll take you deer hunting. So, Opening day of deer season, we would have 10 young kids with such a crazy different, you know, this one's got that rifle, that one's got, borrowed this rifle from that neighbor. And my dad would take us out and he'd set us all on these deer stands that we built. And then he'd come and check on you at noon. And then he'd, you know, hey, I'm going to pick you up at four o'clock. So walk back out to the road. And so to see how committed he was to getting other people into hunting was it's, I now see where that is common within the hunting space. And I see where that thread is, is woven in the fabric of the life that I live. And when he passed away, I went back home to Minnesota for his funeral and the number of people who stopped me and said, Randy, I wouldn't be a hunter if it wasn't for your dad. Remember when your dad took me out to Pine Island? Remember when your dad took me up Old County Road 4 and he found a rifle for me to use? And I'm hearing all those people come and tell me that. It really struck me. Wow, that that's a legacy my dad kind of created. And, and not just him. I mean, it, it's common in the hunting space. And I took from that and said, you know what? This I, I want to keep doing that. And so I share whatever information I can. I This morning, I I got an email from a couple of they and their 12 year old daughter was here from Wisconsin and they found my contact information on my website and they're like, can we buy you coffee? Our daughter is really into hunting and she would just love to meet you. So I'm like, sure. So I spent an hour and 15 minutes and if planting that little seed to that person makes her that next generation of hunters that's that's the goal that that's the idea that's what drives me that is so awesome god bless you brother I mean, it's <laughs> it's just it's you've
1: taken up the mantle of your dad and and you're you're doing it man you're doing yeah. it you, like i said god bless you man oh, thank all you right? no um so all right so the main reason um i had wanted to uh get you on the podcast was not only to learn about you and introduce my listeners to you but because of how i guess our interactions began all right so if if my listeners and and of course you remember uh, if my listeners remember back on june 2nd um there was a huge uh social media push to um you know with uh that blackout tuesday hashtag blackout tuesday um And I saw, I saw it all across social media on that day. But as I mentioned with your particular Instagram page, um, I hadn't expected it. Um, because like I said, I was familiar with, with who you were and how big a name you were within the hunting community and the hunting industry. And I honestly expected that day to not necessarily see big brands, big names showing the support that they did. um, and that day yours i remember when i opened up out of all the different brands and and hunting companies that uh i follow on instagram yours was the first one that i saw the black tile on and i had to take a second and and say thank you um for you know your support in this movement mainly because i felt like you were taking a risk you know in in doing so you know say in in showing support for this movement because these days, you know, the, the issues are so polarizing. You're, you're either on one side or the other. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? Th- there seems to be no middle ground. Um, being that you had such a huge following, um, were you afraid you might lose that or better yet? You know what? Before I asked whether or not you feared losing that following, I got to ask what prompted you to participate even in the, in that, in just that particular event that day? Um, how much
2: time we have, Cliff? <laughs>
1: hey, I'm on, remember, I told you I'm on vacation this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this
2: is I, this is where I feel vulnerable. Okay, because right. I, grew, I grew up in white rural America, and by most standards, I still live in white rural America in Montana. But as I uh, explained in some of the emails we shared, my view to uh, struggles and challenges based on someone's skin color or someone's background or whatever has been the tribal friends that I have and living next to two reservations. Uh, I saw how inequities happened. I, 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 I still don't live it. I mean, I say this on my podcast a lot and I get fried for it, but I say, uh, I was born a white male in America and that gives me a greater head start than if I was born a female or if I was born whatever. And I acknowledge that that's the way it is. And I'm not saying that's right. It just, it's obvious to me that that is a a, a head start. And so it's just been reiterated to me when I see how big of a challenge it's been for my friends who are tribal members. Uh, Just it, no matter how you want to measure it it's a struggle so I, can, I my life experiences don't give me the perspective of what it's like to be in someone else's shoes i can observe it from afar and try to understand it but until you live it you don't fully understand it so as you get older You kind of think about, at least I feel Anyhow, you try to think about that more You try to put yourself in other people's shoes You try to understand more When I was younger, I I had all the answers Right? And Now, as I get older and older I realize how few answers I have And when I do find an answer Or I start getting some clarity To complicated problems It's usually because I did more listening And not as much talking And so when it comes to these issues of race or issues of inequality or whatever, I it I don't have life experiences to understand it in its full context. So, yeah, there's, there's just that inherently gives r- risk out there that if I say something, no matter how well intended I am, what if I say something stupid out of my own ignorance or uh, not being informed or, you know, I, uh, you know, so. so that's a risk. But also, I believe if you are given the blessing of of platforms like I have, you have a responsibility to use those in a way that you think is creative, uh, helpful, beneficial. And sometimes that comes with risk. And so I just had thought about it. And so I called my social media group and said, hey, I want to do this. And they said, you know, we're really excited that you want to do it. That's really great. But We want you to think about it because we can assure you it's (laughs) going to have a lot of, a lot of friction. And I "I get it. I'm, you know, I, I'm not here to take the easy path. I'm here to try do whatever little I might be able to do by sticking my neck out there. So that's why I did it. And you saw the comments. Yeah. Oh yeah. I saw the
1: comments. (laughs) I, uh, I saw a lot of I'm, I'm following you oh how could you take such a stance I'm no longer follow like what, so what was what were the results um, for you that day uh, let's let's start with the negative well like was there anything well you know what I don't even want to dwell on that because I think everybody that that may have dealt with any negative response that day uh, shared the same experience so what were the positive outcomes that came from you um, you know
2: posting, yeah that day well the the i think as humans the human condition is we always want to please right so Mm -hmm. we focus on someone who comments negatively or someone gives you a thumbs down whereas we disregard all the likes and all the positive comments Mm and i think that's just who we are as people who want to please and and want our ideas to be accepted so uh the, the benefits are, I mean, you and I having this discussion today is one of those benefits. I watched how you went out and engaged with some of the people on my uh, Instagram post. You were so professional. You were it, everything that you said and did was about love and kindness and, and understanding and, and humanity. And that's the kind of discussions that I think lead to progress. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't make this issue of political issue in my mind, my mind can't go there that these kind of topics are political. Agreed. Uh, and so when people want to make them political, I can't do anything about that. The other benefit mm. was those people who sent me DMs. I think that's what they call them on Instagram. I, like I say, yeah. social media firm that does most <laughs> for me. So I'm a bit of a hack when it comes to getting into my own account. Uh, so I get in there and I've got all these DMS from people who are upset and I gave them all my email address, pretty much all of them. Uh, and we started having these conversations offline where I think they felt a little safer of how the conversation could unfold. And some of them I'm going to be meeting with this fall, uh, nice. when I coming through Montana or where I'm coming through there, and it's like, let's talk about this stuff. Let's, mm-hmm. let's figure out, you know, we have so much in common here. Why, what am I missing that this is offensive or what can I add to my life experiences of why I felt this was important? Because I've had life experiences where I've seen these things and I don't claim to understand it all. I I don't have the answers, but I've seen enough events in my 55 years that I know we can do better. And if I can be one little part of that, let's do better. Mm-hmm. I'll take the risk. I'll take the criticism. That's, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be flippant when people criticize me, but there's a, also a part of me that understands there's a segment of the world that operates from the mindset of I'm not happy till you're not happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have to be able to sort those out. And then there's some people who are truly, uh, confused by maybe what my posting of that, or they connect it to something else. And I don't connect it to anything other than the idea that if we truly believe what our second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, the preamble says that all men are created equal, and if I could rewrite that, be all men and women, all people are created <laughs> equal, uh, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If we truly believe that, if that's the foundation that this society and this country is built on, then are we doing what we can to make sure we hold to that, to to make that the reality? Put it, is reading it in words in your civics class is one thing. Mm-hmm. How do we make it that reality? And that's as simple. As, uh, I'm a simple guy, Cliff. I mm-hmm. as simple as I can make it. <laughs> I can't complicate it with all this other stuff that evidently others want to. Mm. I would bet that if you and I went out hunting, we'd have the time of our lives. And they'd say this this dude is from way out in the bush in Montana, and this guy is from New York City. What do they have in (laughs) common? What we're having hunting is we're human. We, yeah, we care about yeah. each other. We we care about the place we live. We we care about what kind of country, what kind of society, what kind of culture we have, and that's right there, ninety five percent of it. And so I don't know. I maybe I'm just too simple to to understand it in a in a different context. But I I think one of, back to your point of what are the positives that came of it. Uh, the number of people like you and other people of color who reached out to me, it was. Uh, I'll, I get my analytics from Google and from all these other places of what my audience looks like and where they're from, demographically, geographically. The number of people of color who reached out to me was astounding. I I, I, oh, I, I know it probably sounds stupid and ignorant to be shocked by that, but I, I I'll be honest, I, I did not expect that much of a of a reach out from people like you and others through messages through through. Uh, emails and such. And then I think the other benefit that comes of it is having a conversation. As difficult as the conversation might be, we're we're not going to solve complicated problems with simple Facebook memes. We're not mm. going to solve these complicated problems by dividing everybody into this camp or that camp. You gotta be you got to be this color or that color. You gotta be this side or that side. You know you're red or blue or you none of that matters in the world of being humans and, and brotherhood and, and the things to me that, you know, regardless of somebody's faith, the, the, the principles I think that most of us tend to follow are that we love our fellow man. We are our brother's keeper. We are here to do what we can to help others. And, and, that's just the lens through which I see the world, and I'm I'm thankful that I had uh, family members, grandmothers who just taught me that everybody's human, everybody's the same as you. Don't you know? We all have our own story. We all have our own life experiences, and so that that's helped helped make that decision for me because I knew there was going to be friction. I knew there was going to be blowback. Yeah, I don't live under a rock. Uh, but I was willing to accept it. And, you know, I'm going to make my mistakes along the way. I'm going to do some stupid things. I hope I don't ever do it by intention. I'm going to do it Mm -hmm. hopefully out of (laughs) just ignorance. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to have progress, you have to be willing to take those risks. You have to put yourself in some of those vulnerable positions. And if I am blessed with an audience that follows me and listens to what I say, I better be willing to engage in thoughtful discussion about important topics or I'm I'm of no value. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you again. Like I I can't say
1: any any more, honestly, because um, just like yourself um, uh, and other brands, um, you know, that took the risk that day, um, some brands, you know, played it kind of safe and like, for example, turned off the comments. You know, on the post, so that way they wouldn't have to, you know, see or read any any kind of backlash. But what I like is that um, I guess at the end of the day, the positive outcome was the engagement. Mm-hmm. You know, um, for me that day especially, like so many, there were so many I think comments that started out negative, um, but then ended. On a more positive note, and I'm and by positive, I don't necessarily mean that we ended up seeing, like at least the conversations I had, we didn't necessarily end up seeing eye to eye, but we meaningfully communicated to each other, and I got the opportunity to understand what one person's point of view was, and another person got to understand what my point of view was, and at the end of the day, that was it. Mm-hmm. Now, I I think sometimes this one of the main issues is that um a lot of hunters find you know ha- they take hunting to be their kind of safe space uh, a space for them to be away from the politics away from you know mm-hmm. social justice issues and things like that but i don't think they realize that if the goal is to welcome anyone and everyone within the hunting community certain issues will arise mm-hmm. that that need to be acknowledged you yeah. know, what I'm saying not necessarily a huge battle fought, but conversations to be had at least. Yeah. So I,
2: I, I don't know. In my mind, I try to say, okay, why would something? Why would that topic offend me, or why would it discourage me from reaching out or engaging? And I'm not sure why, because I, I, I'm a, as I've grown older, I don't like the comfort. Of everybody agreeing with me. I, mean, I learned that when everybody agrees with me, that means I'm about ready to lead a pack of people off the cliff. <laughs> and everyone's like, straight ahead, straight ahead, and we, you know, run into an iceberg and sink the Titanic. I want people to be questioning me. I want to learn from the different perspectives because I if if there's one thing I I've come to be a very firm believer in, it's that We are the product of our life experiences. We all see the world through a different lens, and that lens is formed with every life experience we have, good experiences, bad experiences, the people we interact with, the communities we're a part of. So if someone sees something differently than I do, whether 180 degrees differently or just five degrees differently, I'm curious to know what was that person's life experiences that they're seeing it this way. And why, why am I seeing it that way? Well, why? And not saying one's right or one's wrong, but it helps me find where maybe that lens is that makes, makes me do better. And not agreed. I mean, right
1: now, right now for me and a lot of other people within the hunting community, I believe hunting is the, the, the commonality between me and them. It's that, that connection now how we each arrive to that point is is two different two different journeys two different paths and i think the joy will be sharing a hunting camp with let's say someone like yourself and being able to sit down and talk about like after a good day's hunt you know even if even if we haven't been successful in harv- harvesting an animal but being able to sit down and share a conversation a, a coffee a beer whatever it is and speak to where to speak to what our truths are I think that's that's a uh, another great part of hunting. Yeah.
2: And uh, I don't care what the activity is. It can be golf. It can be art. It can be theater. It can you know, hiking, uh, swimming, I, name the activity. I think one of the beautiful parts of engaging in activities is you get to see people for a little bit more who they truly are when they're in an activity that they truly love. Uh, and I truly love hunting. And if you want to see the real side of Randy Newberg, go on a mm-hmm. hunt with him. You're, you're, <laughs> see, but, you're but, but, see how <laughs> incompetent he is. You're going to see how he has his days of frustration. You're going to see him on those days of absolute bliss and joy and thankfulness. And I, I'm sure if I was in some other activity, that was my passion in life. People would, I, I'd express myself through those activities. And so I, I think when we use those activities to find our commonalities and to build bonds that are positive, uh, and nothing but good
1: comes from that. And, and I agree. Just to, to share a little something, I've got a buddy at work who's an avid hunter. Um, and for the last year and a half, I had been leaning on him in terms of like just picking his brain, um, you know, asking him questions every morning before we head out on the road and um this past december he invited me to come up to a lease that he shares with like like 20 other guys um it was only for a day but i got the opportunity to experience deer camp for a day and i got the opportunity to bond with him a lot differently than i do um when we're just getting ready to head into our trucks and, and work for the day yeah. and we it's 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 funny just how our relationship just totally changed just for sharing that one day, you know what I'm saying? Him taking me out to a stand, um, us, even though like neither one of us got a deer that day, uh, you know what, he was able to show me how to field dress a deer because uh, someone else got a, you know, bag the dough. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just really cool. Like we bonded over that one day and it's it's taken our relationship, if you will, to a, a totally different level, how we interact with each other uh, now on a
2: daily basis, so yeah if you and i spent a day hunting cliff you'd be so tired of me asking you questions <laughs> because i would be so interested in how is it that somebody from new york city decides hunting is going to be part of my life and oh. my first question would be is kind of like you asked me were you born into this or did you raise your hand and say i want to be part of this oh and that
1: that that'd be yeah. a long conversation because it's it's still going on, cause um, it's being, you know. I, I just turned 44 over the weekend, and um, okay. oh, thank you. Um, so, uh, oh, awesome! I just got a happy birthday shout out from Randy Newberg. Uh, so, uh, so um, it's it's. I think it's a lot different with. I'm learning. Let me put it this way: that there are so many different factors that uh, an adult taking up hunting. Um, will have to encounter like their financial situation, their family. Are they single? Do they have, do they have a, a, hus- a spouse, children, things like that? Things that not I didn't take into consideration. And then also the impact it would have, like in me in particular on my family. you know, saying on my wife, is she going to get annoyed? Like, was, I, I'm pretty sure my wife thinks I'm still in the middle of a midlife crisis. <laughs> that in, in, instead of buying the shiny new sports car, I decided to take up hunting. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's so much, I, I, you know, I, I could write an essay on it at this point. Like I've been, I've been keeping somewhat of a journal, uh, that I've, I've, uh, lovingly entitled hunting while urban. So, uh, just so I could keep track of, you know, all of my experiences and, and hopefully share it, uh, later on in life with my kids.
2: Yeah, it, it's, that fascinates me. That's a personal story that has so many pieces that brought you to that point and i would be asking i'm serious you would get so annoyed you'd say randy we're hunting would you just shut up for a while? <laughs> but it would fascinate me and, and i could say that about everybody i've i've met while hunting i ask them so many questions because it, it it's part of uh, hunting is that commonality that brings us together. It makes us feel that we're part of the same. And yet often we come from different places and different spaces. So what, what were those things? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird that I'm so fascinated by it, but to me that that's the future. That's where the future of hunting is, is bringing more people, bringing people from wherever and whatever to, Have this same appreciation for wild places and wild things, for the food that it provides us, for the clean air, the clean water, so that that next generation, our kids, grandkids, whatever it is, that they have this same thing. And Maybe that's idealistic. Maybe that's some uh, crazy idea to think that that's going to be here forever, but um, that's my goal. Crazy idea, being idealistic, then we all need to go
1: bat crap crazy then. (laughs) you <laughs> say because it's it's a how it's an honorable idea to say the least yeah so, all right so listen um i'd like to know or let i'd like to have you let my listeners know what projects is it that you work on um i know you've got like i believe two podcasts you work on and so on and yeah. and other things so what are they if you don't mind running
2: down the sure. list yeah i have a podcast called Hunt Talk Radio. The subtitle is Randy Newberg Unfiltered. Uh, oh, unfiltered. Yeah, and <laughs> w- what that means is I, I I don't belong to a political party. I have no use for political parties. And in the world of conservation and public lands and public access, sometimes you just got to get a little unfiltered and roll up the sleeves and call it, you know, call it for what it is. And uh, so every once in a while that podcast gets out there into some issues that you, <laughs> I get my share of love letters from politicians and policymakers. Uh, so you can get that in all the normal places, Stitcher, iTunes, you know, all your podcast apps. And then one that's more an informational podcast focused on elk I do with Corey Jacobson, mm-hmm. uh, and i world champion elk caller. Uh, he's, I I'm kind of the color commentator and he's the real analyst. Uh, and uh, that's called Elk Talk. And oh, we have a YouTube channel, uh, Randy Newberg Hunter, and that's the same handle for Facebook and Instagram. And can I give you the little story of how I came up with Randy Newberg Hunter? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> so, in my other life, I told you I'm a tax accountant. I'm a CPA, certified public accountant. So yeah, normally, all, most of our work is done when tax season's over. So it leaves a lot of time to hunt in the fall. And so I have this really dear client, Linda. She was always trying to get a hold of me. And one time I come into my office and there's a note from Linda and she had my business card and she crossed out CPA because it was Randy Newberg, comma, CPA, and she put Hunter in there because she knew in hunting season she could never get a hold of me. So <laughs> right, that's cool. So now my business card says Randy Newberg, comma hunter. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, that's the handles we started using on our Instagram, Facebook, uh YouTube channel. And if if you do get Amazon Prime, uh you can get our our really polished versions of everything that used mm-hmm. to be our TV channel or TV show. We moved it over to Amazon Prime and it's called Leopold's Fresh Tracks with yes is. So, and if you Come through Bozeman, Montana. You can probably find me at a Dairy Queen or a coffee shop. (laughs) 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 Definitely, I'd have, I'd have to. It's a little bit of a detour for me, a little
1: out of the way, but I think I've got to make that happen one day. (laughs) But uh, listen, you you touched on something when you were talking about your Randy Newberg Unfiltered podcast, and you were Mm -hmm. talking about, um, you know, uh, wildlife conservation or just conservation in general. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the the new piece of legislation that um, I believe still has to go through? Um, is it what is it, Senate or Congress?
2: Of um, uh, the land,
1: land, land and, and water, water conservation. Conservation.
2: Fund? Yeah, yep. it's the Great American Outdoor Act, and mm-hmm. uh, what this is is it's a program that uses off. So the. I got to apologize, Cliff. My wife says it takes me 10 minutes to say hello. So when you ask me a question, you're going to get a long answer. (laughs) Uh, No worries, no worries. uh, LWCF is the acronym that it kind of goes by, Land and Water Conservation Fund. It's the same age I am. It's 55 (laughs) years old. And when it was established, it had a 50-year sunset provision. And they said it was to open up mostly in the Gulf of Mexico, the Gulf Coast states, that we're going to allow offshore drilling. We're going to take some of the royalties and we're going to put them in this account. And since we're depleting one public asset, i.e. the, the oil and gas reserves, we're going to use it to acquire other public assets like parks and bike trails and public lands. So the, the places that most people would go hunting or fishing over the last 50 years Those places have been acquired with money from this fund, the the Land and Water Conservation Fund. So it sunsetted in, in 2015. And the Congress is like, oh, no, they let it die. So then they kind of brought it back for a year. And then they brought it back and didn't give it any funding. Well, what good is a program with no funding other than to say, oh, well, we're in support of it. We don't want to give it any money, but we're in support of it so this new bill it's been through congress uh it it's uh, congress it's been through the senate it's in the house uh the house will uh, have a vote on it um and then it'll go to the president uh, all indicators are he said he will sign it if it gets there but you never know i, I go to a dc plenty uh as a lot of my volunteer work and until it's signed, I'm, uh, <laughs> I am I still have my level of, of hesitation of pronouncing victory. Um, got it, got so it. it's, it's a very important program. And uh, 40% of the money historically has went to urban areas for parks and bike paths, uh, swimming pools, stuff like that. It was all about getting people outside. And the other 60% has went to buying... Uh, property that blocked access to lakes and rivers and mountains and other public land to open up thousands or millions of acres of, of land. A lot of it's in the West, but there's a lot of it, every state has a lot of that money has been allocated to them for those kind of mm-hmm. programs. So most people don't even know that, oh, when I go down to this fishing pier and I fish off that pier, that that money, a big part of it probably came from the Land and Water Conservation Fund. So I'm keeping wow. my fingers crossed, Cliff, that it <laughs> uh, because finally it'll be back there, and and the pool of money that's earmarked is nine hundred million dollars, and wow, uh, yeah, every year nine hundred million dollars. And what's been happening for for a long time, even though that money came in from the royalties, Congress never one time in fifty years did they use all the money. Most times <laughs> they diverted it to something else that was their pet project and so Uh, this bill is going to have a level of accountability that you can't just go you know spend this on your favorite little thing it's got to go to these kind of projects and so that's part of why there's some in congress who don't want to be told how they can spend this money they want to just kind of yeah let's not tell anybody let's bury it in the budget and so if it can pass it's going to do great things for our national parks for our urban, suburban parks and fishing and uh, access sites and swimming and uh, bike trails, hiking trails, and then also our big, vast uh, rural landscapes, it'll help improve access there. So let's keep our fingers crossed, please. Awesome. Please. Will do. Will do. So. All right. So
1: now... Um, Normally at this point I would ask uh, where my listeners could find you on social media, but you already ran through that. uh, Randy Newberg Hunter on Facebook, Instagram, um, YouTube, and you are on Amazon Prime, correct? Yep. Um, Now, so I'm going to round this interview out with. uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm a huge fan of of mob movies, specifically uh, the the Godfather. (laughs) So, so, so now you know uh, there's a point where Don Corleone uh, says I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse right <laughs> so I'm go- I'm gonna ask what piece of advice would you offer a new hunter that he'd be a fool to refuse oh something something that uh, one piece of say one sage piece of advice that that you feel like if there's anything a new hunter should know this should be it
2: yeah, I, I I think it, and I. This applies to anything where you have to struggle. I, I think whether it's business, whether it's playing the guitar, or whatever. Failure is your best teacher, and wow. uh, my my lessons to myself have been view what some might view as failure as learning. It's not failure. It's learning. It, it's getting better. It's knowing and understanding. I mean. Did anyone think that Michael Jordan was the great basketball player he was? Just He was born that way? No. He had a lot of failure. He had a lot of challenges. Everyone challenged him. He he wanted to be challenged. He wanted to fail because he knew the next time he was going to succeed. And in hunting, that translates to my business life also. So many people will ask me, wow, you've been successful. You've built these businesses and sold them. And how did you do that? And I tell them, well, hunting – was the greatest training ground I could have ever had because nine out of 10 times when I go out hunting, I'm going to fail. I'm dealing with uncontrollable elements and, and variables that I just have to deal with and adapt to. I can't control it. And that's great in life. That's great in, in business or whatever your pursuit is. So I'd say if you're a hunter, don't measure anything as a failure. Failure is just deciding to when you quit, then you failed. Everything. Else, that Everything else is just lessons and gaining of knowledge.
1: Copy that. Thank you, sir. All right. Ladies and gents, you heard it here. Randy, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with me today. Um, I truly appreciate it, man. Uh, learned a lot. Um, truly appreciate what you're doing in the hunting community, in the hunting industry. Um, and, you know, one of my, my goals is to not only... You know, reach out to the black community in terms of of knowing what's out there, um, in terms of outdoor uh, activities, but to the whole urban community. Because to be honest, growing up for me, um, getting to getting outdoors meant heading to a local park to play ball. You know, what I'm saying I want my kids, their friends, their families to learn. Um, you know that, out, less than an hour from here, there's a there's a about a you know, a, what three four hundred acre preserve of yeah, saying that anyone and everyone has access to. So um, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the content uh, that I am going to continue binge watching once I get home tonight.
2: Oh, <laughs> That's it, man. Just thank you. Well, Cliff, thank you for having me, and thanks for the way that just, uh, I, you know, you and I have only interacted now for the better part of five or six weeks. But your demeanor, your style, its you, you're so – so professional and, and so good in just being positive and trying to give your message of, of what you're, you know, you, how, how the world is for you, uh, how important so many things are like hunting and conservation and your family and your faith are to you. And I hope you keep doing that. I hope you that we continue to have conversations that someday lead us to a, sharing a camp together. No, uh, same here. Same here. And listen, if
1: you've ever got any questions um, and you want to want to hear about my experience or something like that, um, I, I love the fact that you're you're open to hearing about those. So please ask away. Just shoot me the email. I got no problem. If you don't mind reading a, like a two page essay, I got no problem <laughs> I got no problem writing it.
2: Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. You too, sir. Stay blessed yes
0: thank you all right ladies and gents and that's the end of that conversation i'm not even going front um prior to this interview with randy i was a bit nervous you know what i'm saying because um a lot of people when i told them that i had this interview lined up had told me he was you know a big deal in the that not not that he was that he is a big deal within the hunting community within the hunting industry um and i'm not gonna say that i was starstruck um but kind of a a bit nervous as to you know what i was gonna ask and what we were gonna talk about but um this conversation was awesome y'all um i really enjoyed it um i really appreciate randy you know sharing not only his hunting experience but sharing what his life like was growing up you know saying what his dad was like um you know his sharing his views on on just i guess this sport or not even just limiting it to this sport of hunting but just us being um human beings and and being as inclusive as possible um i guess i not that i guess i really i truly hope you guys took away the same you know the same stuff that i did from this conversation i hope you guys enjoyed listening to this conversation um because i really had a good time talking to randy so all right y'all until the next episode Um, Well, to be honest, if you can't wait for a new episode, uh, there's 30 other episodes you guys can check out. Feel free to listen. All right. But until then, y'all stay blessed. And remember, respect the journey even when it's not your own.